How should America handle Russian aggression? This is Brief Before Impact. Hey, welcome everyone. I am Matt Parker. This week we're going to be discussing Russian military troops on the Ukrainian border and how America should handle the situation. If you've seen some of the news reports uh, as lately, going back to 2014 with the annexation of Crimea, Russian policy towards Ukraine has been one of wanting to expand Russia's sphere of influence, Ukraine being an, a top target in that sphere. So today we're going to go to a little bit of a history on the situation between Russia and Ukraine and the West and, and NATO as an alliance and discuss of the mil- the most recent military buildup of Russian troops near Ukrainian border, uh, why this buildup and this relationship between the United States and Ukraine matters, and lastly, how would America defend or at least deter Russian troops from further such aggression? We're going to jump into a quick ad break, then we're going to get to work. All right, welcome back, everyone. So starting up, we're going to hit a couple of key points here about the recent military buildup, and we're going to talk about the a little bit of history on Crimea. So according to Paul Kirby for BBC, Ukraine shares a border with the European Union and Russia. But as a former Soviet republic, it has deep social and cultural ties with Russia, and Russian, the language, is widely spoken there. Russia has long resisted Ukraine's move towards European institutions. And its key demand is that it never joins NATO or has the military alliance's offensive weapons you know, on its soil, Ukrainian soil. So when Ukrainians deposed their pro-Russian president in 2014, Russia seized and then annexed the southern Crimean Peninsula from Ukraine and Russian-backed separatists captured large swaths of Ukraine's two eastern regions, collectively known as the Donbass. Now, Vladimir Putin said that the Russian troops in the Crimean Peninsula were aimed to, quote, ensure proper conditions for the people of Crimea to be able to freely express their will. Whilst Ukraine and other nations argue that such intervention is a violation of Ukraine's sovereignty, Russian officials eventually admitted that their to their troops' presence in the first place, uh, Defense Minister Sergei Shogu said that the country's military actions in Crimea were undertaken by forces of the Black Sea Fleet and were justified by, quote, threat to lives of Crimean civilians in danger of takeover of Russian military infrastructure by extremists. So basically, Ukraine was m- moving politically towards Western-style democracy. Russia didn't like that, so they used the this opportunity to annex Crimea under the guise of defending um, ethnic Russians living in Crimea and the potential takeover of Russian military infrastructure by extremists. And they have annexed it and they still own it essentially today. I own, they are there and they haven't given up that that territory. Now, according to the New York Times, uh, Russia has once again raised the tenor of anti-Ukraine propaganda and assembled an estimated 175,000 military personnel along Ukraine's border. And that includes tanks, artillery, and equipment. Now, all this has raised alarms that Russia is preparing to launch the largest military offensive in Europe since World War II. 
matter of fact, the Military Times, uh, they've interviewed Ukrainian Brigadier General Budinov just to describe, you know, what's the Ukraine's expectations for how a Russian invasion of Ukraine would actually unfold. And he said, such an attack would likely involve airstrikes, artillery, and armor attacks, followed by airborne assaults in the east, amphibious assaults in Odessa and Mariupol, and a smaller incursion through the neighboring Belarus. Russia's large-scale ZAPAD-21 military exercise earlier this year, for instance, proved that they could drop up to upwards 3,500 airborne and special operation troops at once, according to uh, General Budinov. The attack Russia is preparing, according to the general, would be far more devastating than anything seen in the conflict that began back in 2014. He's talking about the annexation of Crimea. And that has seen at least 14,000 Ukrainians killed. Budinov went on to tell the Military Times that Russia has increasing troop levels and weapon systems in occupied Crimea and staging systems like, for example, the Iskander short-range ballistic missile system and other weapons elsewhere near the border. And he even scoffed at suggestions that the brutal weather conditions, meaning like the winter coming up, during that time of year would dissuade the Russians from attacking. Any such attack would first follow a series of psychological operations that are currently under underway. These are designed to destabilize Ukraine and just undermine its ability to fight. Uh, the Budinov, uh, the general, was quoted to say they, they quote, want to foment unrest, through protests and meetings that show the people are against the government. So Russia is trying to create the scenario that appears to Ukrainians that there's a lot of unrest and the government's not in control in Ukraine and that will give an opportunity for Russia to say, hey, we need to invade to squash this security situation. Now, again, according to the New York Times, Putin believes that Ukraine, which is a country of about 44 million people, and was previously a part of the Soviet Union, uh, it should be subservient to Russia. The two countries share a about 1,200-mile border, as well as cultural and linguistic ties, um, which many Ukrainians think you know, Putin exaggerates. But instead of aligning itself with Russia, Ukraine, it has shifted towards the West, including the toppling of the Putin-backed leader in 2014. Uh, Ukraine's current president, uh, Zelensky, he's pushed back against Russian attempts to expand influence. So now you have understanding of what is at stake here and how Russia might actually invade Ukraine. You have to look at why was why Putin even send troops to Ukraine in the first place. I got it. There's these cultural ties that go back to the Cold War, being that Ukraine was under part of that Soviet Union. But Putin has like in Ukraine's policy in the Donbass, that the border region where Russia has uh, really led that slow-burning separatist war in 2014, he's Putin has likened that to genocide, the, the po- Ukraine's policy towards it. And this these kind of words really give the government in Kiev, the Ukrainian capital, the fear that these words are going to be used as a pretext for you know Putin to invade. Some speculate the troop buildup on the border is actually a form of reflexive control, you know, that Russia has used to pressure the U S into halting NATO's expansion. This is something that Putin is gravely concerned about as Ukrainian politically has drifted more towards Western style democracy. The last thing he would want is if uh, Ukraine would become a member state of NATO. 
According to uh, the Financial Times, back in July, Putin wrote a 5,000-word article about Ukraine that alternated between professions of love for Russia's you know, brotherly nation and then the thinly-veiled threats against Kiev should it continue to drift away from Moscow. And it cast no doubt on Ukraine's continued existence within its borders, argued that, quote, uh, excuse me, Putin quoted, the true sovereignty of Ukraine is possible only in partnership with Russia. And Putin vowed that Moscow would never allow you know, Ukraine to become anti-Russia. Now, according to Alexander Moltal, he's an expert in Soviet and post-Soviet politics um, for Rutgers University, uh, Putin's ultimate goal is to get Ukraine just to do what he wants. And what he wants is for Ukraine to come back under its influence and control. But even a large-scale invasion might not achieve that. And it would come with extreme costs for Russia. You know, Russia could ultimately outmatch Ukraine's military, but it would not be a bloodless fight. You know, Russian soldiers would die, despite Putin's propaganda that suggests Ukraine would welcome Russia as a liberator. A war with Ukraine could lead to an occupation, and an insurgency, and the destruction of the country. No rational leader would attempt that, according to Motel. But the question is, or I should say the answer to that is, is Putin in fact rational? So, now that we've outlined this military buildup on the border of Ukraine, let's dive into why this actually should matter to the United States. Because there are strong voices arguing that the United States comes to Ukraine's aid in this difficult situation. Now, according to Frederick Kagan, writing for The Hill, the establishment of an independent Ukrainian and Belarusian states uh, after the Soviet Union's fall in 1991 moved Russia's borders hundreds of miles to the east, creating just this de facto buffer between Russia and Central Europe. Now, the United States and Europe have relied on that buffer to reduce their militaries considerably. So with the Russian takeover of Ukraine the reemergence of a serious Russian conventional threat on the Polish and Romanian borders, it would transform the strategic situation in Europe. It would require a remobilization by NATO states and the deployment of significant forces on those borders. It would transfer, excuse me, transform the Black Sea into a Russian lake, increasing pressure on Turkey, which is still a NATO ally despite its problems. It would seriously question the willingness of the U.S., the European Union, and NATO to defend NATO's eastern members. It would add Ukraine's 45 million people and heavy industrial base to now Russian's authority. And it would send a devastating signal to China and other predators about Western weakness, especially after America's uh, kind of, how do you say this, not well-executed retreat from Afghanistan. So Putin's threats against Ukraine occur on the backdrop of this, this steady absorption of Belarus, for example. He's already been moving Russian forces back into Belarus, and more are likely on its way. Now, Poland and Lithuania are likely to find themselves facing Russian mechanized troops near the Vatel Sawaki Corridor, the only ground line of communication between NATO's Baltic members and the rest of the alliance. You know, Russian control of Ukraine, in addition, would create an existential threat to Poland and even to Romania, one that could only be met by major deployments of U.S. and European ground and air forces to what become essentially a new Iron Curtain, throw it back to the Soviet Union days. So, we understand 
these regional threats to the countries on the eastern border of, of Europe, why should the U.S. be interested in Ukraine beyond just the obvious a couple of Western-style countries, democracy, you know, versions of democracy would be under threat? Well, it's been argued that, first, Ukraine's been a good international partner. Uh, they provided a few battalions when the United States first went into Iraq in 03. Secondly, uh, they highlight the Budapest Memorandum, which was a an agreement between several countries, including the United States, which of a, a few things got rid of the 1900 strategic nuclear warheads that Ukraine owned after the fall of the Soviet Union. And the United States said, all right, you get rid of these nuclear warheads and America will always have strong interest in what will happen in Ukraine. And lastly, you know, bolstering European security. Defending Ukraine could be argued that if we if the United States doesn't, how many more countries will fall to, you know, Russian influence and therefore weakening uh, the West and its in, and its own authority in the European continent. Beyond just those few reasons, Looking up to what economic ties there were between the United States and Ukraine, there are a few. It's not tremendous by any means, but the United States and Ukraine, according to the State Department, have a bilateral investment treaty, uh, U.S. exports to Ukraine, that's including coal, machinery, vehicles, uh, agricultural, fish, seafood, aircraft. Now, the U.S. imports from Ukraine some iron, steel, uh, some chemicals, and aircraft and agricultural products as well. I think currently... Ukraine is the United States' 67th largest goods trading partner, about $3.7 billion in total uh, goods during 2019. So there are some a handful of reasons, the long-standing partnerships, the Budapest Memorandum, uh, European security, as well as economic interests of why the United States should, in fact, deeply care about, the, uh, about Ukraine's status, especially with Russian influence over its political system and just merely the, the lives of so many Ukrainians, inevitably such a conflict would perhaps spill to another other countries. So with the military buildup outlined, why it matters to the U.S., how would, in fact, the United States defend Ukraine from Russian aggression? Now, in September, according to the Business Insider, President Joe Biden met with Ukrainian President Zelensky and he reiterated that the United States remains firmly committed to Ukraine's sovereignty and territorial integrity in the face of Russian aggression. A joint statement released after the meeting declared the United States supports Ukraine's right to decide its own future foreign policy course free of outside interference. And that includes, with respect, Ukraine's aspirations to join NATO. Now, of course, NATO is never going to say Ukrainian membership is off the table. Because that's what Putin wants, according to Vox News. You know, Putin has asked Biden just for legal guarantees that NATO would never expand eastward or put weapons systems in Ukraine whenever Putin and Biden spoke on the phone recently. U.S. officials are never going to say that out loud. They're never going to say, yep, totally understand. Ukraine will never join NATO. Instead, NATO, according to The Hill, is going to have to rely primarily on defensive capabilities as Ukraine has or that NATO is willing to share. Even the use of NATO's air and missile power would be problematic because of Russia's highly capable air defense systems. So NATO would have to deploy a lot of its stealth aircraft inventory along with some ship submarine-launched missiles 
just to be a blunt, you know, too blunt a Russian offensive. You know, air power alone is not going to likely just be enough to stop that offensive, but it could impose a massive cost on Russia's military. And that really lies the key to deterring an attack in the first place, the massive cost it would be for Russia and for Putin. That's domestically in a political sense, as well as just the flat out financials. Now, a few other approaches have been suggested. Um, first, there's the minimalist approach, according to Breaking Defense. One approach would just be to station a small multinational force in Ukraine with the goal that their presence alone would deter Russia. Now, this approach would be relatively low cost in peacetime, not really a major change from what the U.S. and NATO are already doing. Additionally, there could be the imposition of sanctions, uh, economic sanctions against Putin or key Russian oligarchs. The Nord Stream 2 pipeline, which is between Russia and Germany, which has been a huge um, geopolitical issue, could be perhaps prevented to be completed and begin operating which would have a tremendous economic comp- uh, consequences on Russia, as well as Germany and your and American ally. Uh, the United States could also show a commitment by providing additional defensive capabilities via military hardware to Ukraine. Uh, lastly, the United States could say, do an out-of-cycle um, division-level military exercise. So sending over a, an American um say, infantry division to partner with Ukraine or somewhere in Eastern Europe, just again, show Russia that America stands with its partners in Eastern Europe. There's a handful of approaches here that could be taken. Some would inevitably be effective, like sanctions, for example, will always be in place. That always seem to be the first you know stab at any geopolitical scenario. But it just depends on where... Um, how far, I should say, America is willing to go, both to its allies and uh, against Russia in defending Ukraine. So to kind of conclude, should America be defending Ukraine in the first place? You know, and by extension, defending democracy abroad. Now, Ukraine, they're going to fight for their basic rights, and they're going to push back against the Russian authoritarian repression. I think most Americans politically left or right would support that you know in principle many americans want to support democracies around the world but the cost you know the cost of american blood and treasure it has to be heavily weighed when supporting other nation states around the globe america is expected by many other nations to defend western values now personally i'm more concerned with the perception our enemies have of us compared to just our ideologically aligned allies. You know, what do American actions signal to China, for example? Now, in the case of Ukraine, China might see Russia as an unreliable ally if it couldn't weaken America or NATO's influence in Eastern Europe. I think America could signal one of three things to China regarding Ukraine. You know, first... It wants to maintain the status quo at all cost. Second, it will stand side by side with democratic style governments when facing authoritarian repression. Or third, it just has no desire for military conflict abroad when America's immediate interests are just not obviously threatened. Now, depending on America's course of action, China will either maintain those their current policies abroad and just kind of keep going the way they are, or they'll double down and take advantage of America's unwillingness to be a global leader. 
and perhaps fast forward some of their objectives in their own sphere of influence in East and Southeast Asia. So with our courses of action, most likely as course of action in my assessment is that the United States will most likely declare to Putin that Ukraine's potential membership to NATO is not actively being pursued or taken off the table for that matter and just attempting to maintain the status quo. How can we just keep things as they've been for the time being? Now, Biden said comments that you know, America's going to stand firm with Ukraine. How that actually plays out is yet to be unseen. But I think this is most likely as course of action on the immediate, near to immediate term. The most dangerous course of action in my assessment would be the United States allowing Russia to you know, cross the border and conquer key geographic areas within Ukraine with relative ease, which would signal to the world, most specifically China, that America doesn't have the stomach to deter aggressive kinetic operations. If, if Russia were to attack using the troops that the United States say are being readied right now, it would be the largest conflict the European continent has actually seen since World War II. If, if that were to happen, that type of conflict would certainly not be limited just to one country, just to one, in Ukraine. It would inevitably spill over in other borders. So thanks for tuning in this week. Appreciate you listening. Follow me at Brief Before Impact. As always, I hope you're picking up what I'm putting down. I am Matt Parker. This is Brief Before Impact.